Phones down, microphones up, cocktails and questions. Um, coming at you early on a Monday in the week, man. How's everybody doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Are you Getting doing that South by uh, South by Southwest hangover recovery today? You, drinking a lot of water. Yeah, sparkling. You've sparkling. got <laughs> you got to rehydrate mm-hmm. before you dehydrate. Um, same, man. That was a good South by. Mm-hmm. We were just talking before the when the microphones uh, before they went live. We were impressed. I felt like they turned a corner for the first time. They did a, a good job. Time. Yeah. yeah. It didn't seem like everybody was in such a panic this time. Like everybody's just kind of like enjoying it. Like the last couple of years, everybody's walking around with kind of like these like thousand yard stairs. Like I got to get to all this stuff. Man, sure they were all kind of cool about it. A lot it. of politicians though. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. More than we actually talked about on the last episode. But I mean, everybody was here. And now Beto just announced he's running. I mean, everybody was. It's it's It was kind of interesting to see. I'm wondering if it's because of the lead up to the presidential election or if this is going to be a pretty consistent thing going forward? I think it's pretty consistent when you look at how the current elections have been decided on the internet. Uh You need to have a deep understanding of culture and how people use these things. You know, he obviously, a lot of his um, fundraising was done in Austin. He did not win, came back, chose South by Southwest to air the documentary about that run up. And then days after South by Southwest announced it. I mean, that's strategic planning 101. I mean, that was pretty great. You know, it's, Pretty interesting about that. I don't know if you guys have seen that Act Blue platform the Democrats have put together as their fundraising mechanism. Mm-hmm. It is mind blowing. Go check it out. So when we look at all of these progressive or Democrat candidates, say it again, Act Blue, Act Blue, they actually have a technology platform for fundraising that's like essentially what CRM wanted to be. It's like super targeted, super dialed in, and on top of it, able to generate loads of cash in a short period of time. That's what Beto was sending out. Got SMS, it's got emails, got everything, and it really? just shoots it out All to right. its list. But it segments, personalizes the note, watches the cash come in, push button, watch cash come in. It's pretty amazing. Pretty cool. Well, <clears throat> we're having pretty good weeks, I imagine, so far. Uh, better than Lori Laughlin, our friend Lori Laughlin. How do you say that? Uncle Jesse's oh, wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Aunt Becky, man. man. Aunt Becky, what a tough week for her. So that scandal sent us into a whole thing over Slack and over the hallways and things like that. When you guys want to quickly recap what we're talking about for those that have been asleep for the past seven days? Yeah, unless you were caught under a rock or a large appliance uh, about a week ago, the uh, federal authorities, the FBI, announced the arrest of Lori Laughlin, of Felicity Huffman, and a host of other celebrities or wealthy types <laughs> uh, for um, paying bribes to get their children into elite universities. Um, and it wasn't just, uh, as you would think, a typical sort of Straight cash payout, apparently it involved athletic directors and all sorts of webs of conspiracies. A fake charity? Yeah. I believe it's called Key Worldwide Foundation. I mean, that sounds fake on its... It does. It does. Right? But people were paying half a million dollars in bribes just to get kids into school at universities that then cost another half a million dollars to send their kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, I grew up in a good house. I, I mean, I don't think my dad had a half million dollars to throw around on something like that. But even if he did, he wouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. You're you're going to do what you're going to do. I mean, that, that whole story is wild, man. But it got us... So people do things because they feel pressure, right? Which, which means they saw... Uh, or at least saw perceived value in in spending that money for what I think there's two daughters, Olivia Jade and mm-hmm. the other one. So no no disrespect to the other one, but poor other one. <laughs> um, Olivia Jade just rolls something rose or something like that. But they felt like it was worth it, right? Because you don't spend that type of money if you, unless you think it, it's worth it. Which got us talking and thinking about the future of the, the education education system and why somebody would do that, right? And it kind of runs up and down the entire chain. I know you've got some pretty serious thoughts. You're, you're on the record a few times. And I agree yeah. with you saying that, you know, um, children of your 
child's age will not go to college, right? Yeah, I just don't think they will. And I think that that's a pretty bombastic statement, but I say it anyway. I'm not saving for my kid's college fund because I don't think they're going to go. I think it's going to look so different. And if it doesn't, then we're in a really bad You're place. You're going to hire because I, I don't want foundation. Yeah, because I don't, I don't have half a million dollars to spend on a bribe, <laughs> and because it's going to cost four million dollars by the time they're, oh, yeah. they're if it goes at the at the same rate. <laughs> so I think that something very big has to change. I gotta believe that technology is going to help us solve this problem because the educational model today, I believe, is the most inefficient and in many cases predatory market out there. It's not delivering a ton of value in terms of what you actually do. The argument is always, you know, kids learn so much in college about social interactions and they make their best friends. And they, I totally agree with that part of it. But it doesn't mean that there should be $1.5 trillion in student debt. 44 million people who in the U.S. have student debt at an average of $37,000. Like, is that worth is, is that worth, you know, the, that cost to just go out and learn how to be friends with everybody? There's got to be got to be a better way. So, so I, I think about it. I think there's a lot of merit to what you're talking about. Um, when I think about the current state of higher education, the I, I do think it, it, it's what you said, but maybe there's another side to the story. Um, when I look at the value of a college degree, whether it's right or wrong, there's still a big premium placed on it by professional employers. Yeah. Um, and we had a little conversation leading up to this, and we were saying, hey. If so-and-so came to you with a resume that just had a high school diploma on it, you know, would you be willing to hire them? Now, the truth is you're a senior executive at the company and you don't do a lot of direct hiring. Most of this stuff is screened out by software and on top of it, it's done for much larger organizations. So groups like Indeed and whatnot have something to say about it. And without that little box checked on your application that I went to some college somewhere, largely you're bounced out on first pass. Yep. So unfortunately, there's a little bit of a societal mousetrap built around it. Now, that's is that not because to say- is it, And in the past, I think that that has probably been valid, right? There's got to be some sort of correlation between college degree and uh, you know, productivity in the workplace. As we, as we move forward, though, and as things like... You know, we talked about developers right now. Like, you know, we're trying to hire developers like crazy. I don't care if they went to any sort of college at all, if they can develop Mm -hmm. a lot of these languages that they're developing in, like a React developer, it's only been around like two years. So doesn't matter whether they went to college or not. They either know it or they don't. As the world continues to change like that, does the value of that degree still remain as important? So... I think yes and no, because I look at it and I think you're citing a very specific technical skill and technical skills are, it it makes my argument, but but it's true (laughs) and you're you're not, you're not wrong. That's how I make arguments. But I look at it at a macro level and see if you look at the last big economic downturn where unemployment like spiked up to nine, 10% at at one point in reality, when you look inside those numbers, a person with a bachelor's degree was only at about 4%. A person with a master's or above was at about three and a half percent. I mean, there's a lot of job security there. So regardless of whether or not there's a lot of on its face early on technical skill development value from sort of a cultural mindset, it's going to take a lot to displace this idea of this insurance policy for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of my, my big pushback in terms of thinking about some huge revolution um, in higher education anytime soon. With that said, I don't think that what we saw this week was the shakeout. I think the thing that's really going to give the opportunity 
to change things. It couldn't be just a couple of years away, which is a massive implosion in that student loan market you cited. That's right. I, I think when I think about a subprime meltdown of student loans and, and what that's going to take, I think that's really the opportunity for at least the United States to rethink and on top of it hit the reset button on how it thinks about all those things you're talking well, about. I mean, it's a mega massive problem, the, the student debt, but a lot of that came about when things were really valuable, right? It's almost a guarantee that you could get a job of a certain pay grade for a certain amount of time. And I think by having a degree, by having a degree, right? Yeah. And I'm not talking about my generation, maybe my father's even prior to that, mm -hmm. right? Where you went to college and you essentially could guarantee some form of income as long as you weren't a complete degenerate, right? And, and what that did, it was a, it was a branding, right? And it, all it proved is that you had the ability to sustain focus and learn a skill that somebody taught you. And then you get in the workforce and the same holds true today. That's great, but I'm going to teach you how we do it, right? Mm -hmm. So all it's doing is proving that you can learn. And I think what's interesting about all of the tools and universities that are online, whether they're traditional ones like MIT or Stanford that release courses online or fully online ones that teach you very specific, was this term, uh, nano degrees, right? Like it, it takes three weeks and all of a sudden I know this thing. It shows that you can learn. It's just different, right? And so when you think about the speed at which these things happen, I think it's going to be, you know, traditional degrees are going to, the value is going to continue to go down as the world speeds up, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you look for somebody who wants to think fast and learn, unlearn and relearn, don't do it over four years, do it over four weeks. And so I think you're both right. I mean, you said something in there about the near-term collapse. Like, do you think it will ultimately happen, this revolution that you're talking about? And who will it happen to? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the first thing that's going to happen if, the, if there is said collapse is a lot of these sort of fly-by-night educational institutions yep. that are legally allowed to take all sorts of student loan money um, are going to cease to exist. Um, you know, there's a great podcast on Planet Money a couple of years ago called The Giant Global Pool of Money, and it was intended to explain oh, yeah. how the subprime mortgage mess came around, and it was literally about all of this liquidity in the market, and all the money had to go somewhere, so it got pushed into subprime loans. When we look at it, the way we've structured the ability to people for people to borrow for this dream has created that same sort of frothy market, that fact that everybody can go get this line of credit. Um, the reality is they're chasing a, a, a dream and an idea just like everybody else should. The problem is when there's that much money in it, it's going to bring all sorts of subpar academic institutions where the degree really isn't worth shit. In, to in total corruption, Yeah, which is back to the Lori Laughlin thing, right? You, you saw people paying for – she was paying for the network for her daughter. She wasn't paying for the school. She wasn't paying for the content. She was paying for the right to say that I went to this school yep. and to be associated with that network. And what you're seeing is people disrupt that network through um, post-college network um, companies and startups and things like that. That was my favorite moment when she – in fact, I just saw the clip again where – is that why the you're smirking was, underneath? I was. She was like, I can't wait to go to college and not go to class and go to parties. And, and everybody's like, boo. And I was like, boo. I was like, wait, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that's what college is. I just is. didn't have anything. To, I didn't have what it took to say anything. So there's, I feel like there's two different parts of it. I think the first part is that there's this value put on a degree that I don't actually believe is going to continue. I, I think it will continue to decrease. Um, I think it's hit we've hit peak value of, of of a degree um but i don't think those two things are linked anymore to your point just because yeah. i can sit through college for four years doesn't mean that i'm good at what i'm doing and so there's got to be that that's one part will society change i think the other part is that it's just massively inefficient mm -hmm. so if you just take the value out of the degree i don't think many people would agree that going to college for four years 
spending this much money and getting that much knowledge in return is an efficient use of capital or time. When you weren't listening anyway. And then yeah. you're supposed to be a fully functional adult at 22. I'm sorry, but yeah. if your job is to not stop at 22. Right? Your job is to get going at 22. And you mint them and you're like, oh, now you're a, you know, got some initials behind your name. It's like you still don't know anything. So what's going to change first? If, it, if it's going to change, is it going to be that somebody comes in and disrupts the market and creates something that's massively more efficient and actually generates people who are smarter or who are better equipped to do something? Or is it that the value of the degree continues to go down? And or do those two things happen at the same time? I think the value of the degree is poised to go down. Yeah. Um, I do think we're sort of at peak degree, right? Just to, to grab something from peak oil. Um, I think Two things are going to happen. One, um, as a means by which to hedge against this oncoming obsolescence, most decent academic universities and higher ed are going to start embracing a little bit more of the Coursera or edX model, right? Mm -hmm. With this whole idea of being more inclusive, giving people certifications in different newer ways. I love Coursera. I've tried to get a certification once a year on that. I love the model. I think um, like anything on the Gartner hype cycle, MOOC came out, massively open online courses. Everybody's yep. like, oh, it's going to save the world. And then it only saved a few bucks. And people are like, oh, it's a failure. And so now it's coming yeah. out. And it's actually a very, very productive system. Um, I think that's a, um, an interim step. If I had to place my money anywhere on higher ed in 15 to 20 years, it's um, what I'm referring to as designer applicants. So when we think about other cultures and how they think about higher education, I love Germany's model because they essentially give you all the runway in the world up until you're through their equivalent of high school. Um, and you take a test and the society at large, the culture doesn't say, well, if you don't go to college, you're a loser. It says, hey, guess what? There's lots of options for you only one of which is going to be a university type system. You can also go and get excellent training as an airline mechanic, or you can go and become a hotel management representative. And so there's this sort of cultural agreement that there's dignity in almost every form of work, mm -hmm. which you do not see in the United States. We, we have a very sort of all or nothing mentality. Um, why do I say that? They have a testing system that's actually been very, very effective. And when I think about how that might apply here, we have the ability to go and actually start understanding what types of degrees to start putting people into very early and on top of it collaborate with larger employers, Intel, Apple, whoever it might be saying, hey, we would like to give you 500 engineers over the next three years, right? Can't, how do we go and start working with high schools to get these people into the programs, make sure we're qualifying the right uh, opportunities to be in the school and on top of it, get them progressed immediately, which is another issue with higher education, which has been their historical lack of accountability for putting people into careers. For the longest time, yes. they're like, no, we just educate you. We don't give you a job. Well, that's going to have to change too, I think. And it, it is changing. One of the things that I get excited about, I forget your original question because I was thinking about this um, income sharing agreement that yeah. they have. They're called ISAs. And essentially, to me, it's, it's the most obvious way for a university to stay in system. Yeah. You're I'm aligning going, your incentives, right? That's right. I mean, <clears throat> everybody's incentive. So how does it work? So essentially, um, you go to some form of school, get some form of degree, whether it be a traditional one, uh, but most likely a startup internet-based one, distance learning type of program. And in the agreement, um, the way that they make money is you pay them back an agreed upon percentage of your income that you got because of the course, right? And it just, to me, that makes total sense. In, in you see the model all over the place. Yeah, so you don't pages. have to pay unless you've actually generated more value. That's right. Yeah. Unless they've given me the value, yeah. which I can then go realize in the marketplace. Yeah. It's almost like a tithing, right? And it's like, yeah. I'll give you X percent up until a certain point. And to me, it's just, 
That that's fantastic. And a lot of them have floors, right? So if you're not making over fifty thousand dollars right. or something like that, sure. you don't have to pay. Mm-hmm. Which is a, it's really smart. I think Purdue University is actually starting to do some of that stuff. Nice. I mean, yeah. to me, it makes the most sense. And this is coming from somebody. I mean, I, I went back and got my MBA. Um, and something that's interesting is the market will tell you what's happening. And if you look across the board, MBAs and post grad applications are down. And for the longest time, they thought okay, they're down over sort of by the James's um, fly-by-night schools, mm-hmm. but they're actually starting to hit the ivory towers. They're st- uh, it's happening at Stanford. It's happening at Harvard. People simply are not going back because the market doesn't bear the value that they tell you that it is. Did you see that documentary, The Ivory Tower? No. It was not. a couple years ago, and it actually hits right at the root of what we're talking about. It was a CNN documentary, and it talked about really where the costs are coming from, and it's really unfortunate. So... Uh, they're spending all of this in this arms race to get students in, which you wouldn't think knowing that they have to bribe them to get in. But for a lot of flagship institutions, they have a certain amount of student body they have to fill. And in the marketing of that, they create all of these luxury amenities like these like big panel TV dorm rooms and hot tubs and whatnot. I mean, I gotta be honest, that was just out of the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) But but, um, in that, so then they have to go and, defer the costs or recoup the costs. So then they spend a lot of time marketing to overseas students or on top of it, like marginal students to come in and pay full costs. So if you look at all of those uh, tuition scales for like uh, the private universe, and it's like, it's $85,000 a year. That's for like the C minus legacy student. That's who pays that. You know, most of them, the overseas students with good grades or the, the higher Carnegie Mellon, types, they uh, end up paying a significantly lower amount. But the economics of it's so screwed up that they're just bringing on more and more costs every year in this never-ending race to the bottom. It's terrifying. It is. It's, it's really terrifying. So what do you think it looks like in the future? I, I think it, when I think about inefficiency, um, and we saw you posted the other day, that, so we've talked a lot about industries that are going to change completely, and, and the answer always comes back. Somebody's like, AI, you know, it's AI. Yeah. <laughs> we put AI in, it's going to change everything. Who's this Al like guy? It's, it's like the cheapest way to say oh, that's yeah. the future. But but <laughs> in this case, I think AI is going to have a fundamental impact. We've talked a lot about medical professionals and uh, the medical profession in general. Cleveland Clinic's now investing in uh, creating a whole, uh, like an AI institute, right, to think mm-hmm. about how they can help with doctors. i got to imagine that teaching teachers, um, that curriculum development, but also just understanding learning and efficiency and effectiveness of learning is going to be driven through AI, right? That, and I think there's going to be a lot more hands-on. Like when we think about it, where higher education or college studies have largely been, it's largely been in the truest sense academic book learning as opposed to like real hands-on applied learning. And I think what you're talking about is a perfect example of where the intersection of like knowledge economy and hands-on learning intersects. Yeah, Yeah, just imagine you start, if if there is some sort of a tool or AI or whatever that is able to follow your kids is kind of scary when you think about it. But at the time, I mean, their kids are getting computers in school now right. in first grade, right? And right. most of their tests are taken on these devices. They get iPads. And so you're able to follow the learning pattern of these children, understand how they're performing. But what if the curriculum starts to adapt based on uh, you know, a learning disability you have or something you show passion in? And if that's if that starts at in grade one, mm-hmm. you know, by the time you get to college, think about how much better and more effective Hands that down. time has to have been spent. It can be more uh, actionable, to your point. It can be um, more hands-on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got to imagine that a kid who's gone through all that and we know has 
availability and capability um, might be able to start working a lot sooner or might be able to get an internship right. at 12 or 13 and get that hands-on learning at an earlier point in their life. I do think that's a huge societal shift because if you think about what college allows you to do, I mean, at its Party. most fundamental level. Waste time. Well, yeah, but I also like forestall the need to go and find a place in the world. Which is usually, which yeah. is usually what it is. When you talk to people candidly, why did you go? There's two things. One, I felt like I had to. Yes. And two, I just didn't want to do a job, which yeah. is which is also why people just go from undergrad to grad because they know they're not ready. They want to keep going. And yeah. then it devalues the 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 uh, the graduate school now, candidate. I will say that my college years weren't completely wasted. It, I, I spent a lot of time actually figuring out what I liked. <laughs> I just you pictured know, you puffing I, I on a pipe when you said that. Hated, and I went to ascot. classes that I, uh, that I enjoyed. And by going to some classes that I like, I really enjoyed my Western civilization class. I love history. Um, I didn't really have a path to map that, right? But I loved... I'm arguing. I ended up in political science. I got a degree in that, which ended up getting me a job in Washington right after college. The whole idea was like the turn it really of the century. Was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in the Truman administration. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, you know, there's this concept of the gap year yep. in Europe, and um, mm-hmm. and you know, I I think that that makes that makes a ton of sense. You know, there's there's a moment in time where maybe you're not ready to grow up, but does it need to be four years? And yeah. hey, I loved it. I, I, yeah. I would be really pissed at myself right now, you know. Was anybody busted paying to get into your alma mater? Oh, no. We, we, first of all, we would never let that <laughs> not happen. Mine. Not mine. High quality institution. <laughs> um, but uh, no, absolutely not. not mine either. Yeah. Just the football. We, team. We, our, our schools keep it tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I got. I got to think that there. What you don't want to do is you don't want to throw out the things that are great about education, right? So, um, friendships, networking, connections, the ability to understand that you have to have some sort of interpersonal. I mean, stuff that happens on the playground. There's all of this stuff that that becomes very formative for who you are. Some of it good, some of it terrible. But how do you keep a lot of that while making the system much more efficient? Mm -hmm. And so maybe, and I always think about somebody's going to spend sixty, seventy. $200,000 Mm -hmm. on college. What if that was put towards something that was more applied? What if they spent 50,000 of that on a gap year? Right. And then the other 150,000 on some sort of hands-on learning, a combination of internships, something that made people more um, prepared for when they actually come out. You know what's crazy? If you think about the low, low interest rate on your average student loan, which I think is anywhere from like two to 3%, right? If you just took that money and instead of giving it to the college, you put it in a index fund that's like averaging six percent a year, like you would, in theory, not only get to keep all that money in the future, but you would also make a little bit on the back end, which drives me like crazy about interest all that. Yeah, arbitrage. Like it's, it's interest arbitrage. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's illegal to do that. <laughs> but, um, Don't actually yeah. do that. Yes. It's not a bad idea, man. You, you talked about what does it look like, and we were, we were going back and forth in Slack, and I said if you look at, if you look at education, um, well, one thing real quick, we're talking about the, like, this is a higher education problem yeah. and just like be on the books. It, it is an problem. education period. Like I know, I know this level of corruption that's happening with four year olds, right? I mean, this sort of pedigree and breeding and grooming happens at a very young age. So to pretend it's reserved for famous people that live in California is absolutely incorrect. You brought up college football players, which is a whole other yes. sort of podcast. But if you look at education as a stack, there's the fundamentals, which I don't think will ever go away. Those are sort of the classics, if you will. You know, James brought up Western civilization. Everybody should have some understanding of where they came from, whether you are an airline mechanic or a professor. You should kind of know how you got to be, right? 
fundamentals, I don't think those are going away. Those are going to be more of an accelerant, I think, more dis more distributed. It doesn't take that long to do it. And to your point about AI, it could be personalized to learning methods. And when you gestured to me with learning disabilities, uh, thanks for that. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, and then, uh, then there's the specialization, right? So then you get to focus. So like through the fundamentals, you can kind of identify what I'm really actually interested in. Yeah. And that's what I think the main thing that you're seeing now. It's coding schools. It's marketing degrees. You get things like Udacity, Udemy. Uh, code academies, things like that. Those aren't going away, I don't believe. They've got to figure out how to do it at scale. I don't think I've seen anybody do that yet. And the one that keeps popping out, the other reason that people pay for this education, quote unquote, is the network. And I don't mm -hmm. know how to replace that, right? At least immediately. Link LinkedIn. Because, <laughs> like LinkedIn, right? You could hit up people with cold DM <laughs> for sales of software. But but there is a gravitas that comes with certain branding of your degree. Mm -hmm. And until something supplements that, People are yeah. going to continue to pay for that network. You know, the, the worst example of that is um, the skull and bones stuff from yeah. like Yale. I wish I was in a <laughs> like, skull and bones. Yeah, man. right. Like you're Don't like, you? I'll have to do with a little I saw the movie. nude male on male mud wrestling for yeah. a couple of weeks. Oh, and not that, I'm set for not life. that part. I don't want that part. That's, like, that's some of the stories <laughs> that come out of it. But is that? I, I even wonder uh, that is that as important anymore, right? So there's which, which part? Uh, you know what school you went to, and you just yeah. don't hear it as much. It used to be like a handshake deal, you know, like oh, yeah. you know, I was in this fraternity, and uh, now you know, oh, I've got anybody who's in that fraternity, anybody who went to that school, I'm gonna hire all the people walking around I with the number two letters on their ankles. If yeah. you went to art, you know, my school or not, it doesn't. It, it, I don't know. I think that we're we're maturing a little bit more. But what you what you do miss is that you miss like I think you miss the friendships and part of like being at school and having to study a lot and then not study a lot and drinking a lot of beer and a lot of other people your same age being around and maybe not having that much going on is like you build some, some interesting relationships that do come back and that that do I think uh, benefit you quite a bit whether that's through like a, a connection that you can use in business or just you know having great people that are around for a long time so how do you recreate that and is that what a gap year is all about is it i don't know i think there's something to the social skills comes out of having pressure you, i didn't think about it until you just said it which is we're all together and yeah we're drunk on shitty beer and we're doing whatever we're doing but we all have this midterms coming up and then all of a sudden you get put into a pressure cooker and you kind of understand how to live and work in society and I, I don't know i don't think any distributed campus can replicate that I mean, at least not this generation, right? Like threaded conversations and chat forms are not going to get you there, right? No, it's absolutely not. And I see there that. is a I mean, physical I, space that needs to be had. Well, not all the all the trends are heading away from physical space, you know. Mm -hmm. But but that's also not how kids today hang out. They hang out virtually. So it's does true. college become that same thing, or does, does it just remove the people that probably shouldn't be there in the first place? When yeah. I think about that, exactly. I don't know if you guys um, are familiar with the comedian John Mulaney. Do you guys know John Mulaney, yeah. former SNL writer, all around genius? I love his work. You do. Um, he has this great bit in his most recent act talking about graduation day and how just 24 hours before he was partying and smoking meth, he was a noted drug addict in his youth, <laughs> um, and the next day he walked across the stage and accepted a piece of paper in a language he already spoke, English, for books he didn't read that cost him $175,000. Like, it's like, that's, a, that's his opinion of college. And I do think that you guys talked about, is, is it a higher education? Is it an academic thing? I think it's an American thing. I really do. That's my POV, yeah. is that we as a people have really lionized this achievement such that if you don't do it, you're worthless. And it forces parents Just to force fundamentally wrong. to do yeah. it. 
um, as opposed to saying, hey, there's plenty of value in doing other things and let's talk about that so we can more rationally use that money and on top of it maybe put you in a place where you don't feel like you're forced to do something that otherwise would not be a good use of your time. All right. Well, we're coming up on time, man. This is a quick look at the future of education. I, I still don't know what it looks like, but I'm excited for it. I like so my the, idea of designer candidates. The one, thing that, the one thing that stood out to me, uh, ed tech investments yep. topped $9.5 billion last year. Mm-hmm. $6 billion of that is into uh, startups that are focusing on AI and education. So Fascinating. If, yeah. And th- I mean, if you look at where the investments are headed... That's where it's going. I, I think that, and and one other thought before we get out of here is the the value has to shift to the teachers, right? We talked about yes, yes, we yes, talked about yes, all these yes, like yes. undervalued class citizens if you do a vocation and stuff. But the reality is, and to your point about um, countries, other countries put a premium value on teachers to where it's almost like I don't want to say they're throwaway, but we we incentivize them all wrong, right? We yeah. barely pay them. We barely pay attention to them. We have to, they don't get subsidies to fund the classroom, to, to fund all the things that we say we want for we our children. Keep, so that needs to teachers terribly well. in this country and it drives me nuts. So I, I would love to see startups focused on the teachers as a network. And there's probably somewhere within that. Would be that. Interesting. I mean, what if you're, what if as a teacher, you could have some sort of incentive program to where you could make two, three, four hundred thousand $400,000 a year if you're delivering the most, uh, the students that have the highest job, conversion rate or mm-hmm. that are delivering the most value. I mean, that would be a, would be a totally different thing where I people are aspiring to be teachers, not just out of the good of their heart, not just because they're great people, but yeah. because there's a, a great career there. If you could have an umbrella of ISAs for students. <laughs> and then, like a pyramid scheme? A pyramid oh, scheme, yeah. man. And at the end of 10 years, you've got 300 people giving you a fraction of their income that you help. Or, yeah, imagine imagine like selling makeup. I mean, don't do that, down. but you know. Imagine what Harvard Business School would be pulling down. They probably are in the way of buildings and Well, I'm just saying, like, if they had ISAs with all yeah. those guys going out. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, before we get out of here, it's, like I said, we're at the top of the week. What's up? We do our coolest thing. Yeah, we're at the top of the week. Uh, so not a whole lot has happened, this being a Monday, but we've seen some cool stuff. Who wants to kick us off? I'll, st- I'll kick off. All right. I got to perform spinal surgery last week. How do you guys like that? A what? On a homeless person? Virtually. Or? Oh, cool. So at South by... Um, I ended up uh, on a panel of judges and I met a company called Fundamental VR, which is amazing. They actually already have installs over at, um, I want to say, Johns Hopkins and Mayo Clinic. And it allows you to conduct virtual surgery. And I put a screw in a spine. That is not the headline. The headline is it has haptic pushback. So on the tool that you use, when you push the screw in, you feel it in your hand. It was very live. It was very unsettling, but also very realistic. Actually, really cool. Oh, wow. That's cool. I got a not cool thing. Okay. So um, this was a headline. Lauren Laughlin's paying $500,000. <laughs> no, Ars Technica. MySpace apparently lost 12 years worth of music <laughs> and almost no one noticed. I don't know if you guys heard about this. They were migrating servers and they botched the job and they lost all of this MySpace user data. How much? And Sorry, nobody, how much music? Uh, everything before 2015. Like literally all music files before 2015 were lost and nobody said anything. Like that's how craft, you remember how big MySpace was at its, big, at its its beginning and now you can lose almost all of the MySpace information. Do you know how much time? It's just gone. You're gone. Yeah. That's the other thing at the end of Does the article they're talking about, we back it up. No, we don't. <laughs> so you're like, what the? The amount of time I spent curating my top eight and making sure that the song that played automatically when you hit my page was perfect is astronomical. Now it's just all gone. It's just all gone. Oh, Think about gone. all that time. R.I.P. Man, could have been learning a new uh, skill. My uh, coolest thing was a not so cool thing. I was excited about it. Um, 
Hey, we talk a lot about Tesla. Um, they announced the Model Y last week, uh, which is kind of a crossover. W-H-Y. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the Y-O-Y campaign. Yeah. So, um, you know, in between the 3 and the S, um, and they say they're going to be trying to make a, a million of these in the next couple of years. I think across the board, everybody just said, nah. Meh. Yeah. I mean, it just there's nothing great about it. no real new announcement, um, and I think that they start to struggle with what Apple's struggling with, right? The iPhone, it's great, it works really well. It's about as good as it can get until something changes, until a whole new form factor, until you go to the next step. And so, Tesla's delivering a pretty damn good car at a pretty damn good price, and nobody really cares about it. Stock price goes down significantly. But you know what's interesting about that? See that um, book I'm I'm reading, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy by Richard Rummel. It has a case study about um, when Jacques Nasser was in charge of Ford, and the consensus that he ignored was in order to compete, just to compete on a per brand basis, you need to have production of at least a million a year just to compete, not to mm -hmm. win. There's no way Tesla ever gets to that on yeah. a per line basis. It just never happens with their current business model. And I think that's where a lot of people are just kind of waiting it out. A lot of people are like, hey, let's see how far you can take this condition the marketplace. And then once it collapses, we'll pick up all the pieces and sell to its customer base. Yeah. Uh, the coolest thing I saw this week, I saw a lot coming off of South by, uh, I saw plants grown on clothes that James introduced me to is probably the most disgusting. You want to do a quick, <laughs> <laughs> so nasty you do it. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's, um, uh, it's clothing that utilizes the moisture and the chemicals that come through your body to actually grow plants. And then you become like a walking, um, I still didn't understand this. Is this, like farms? is this like if you're stranded somewhere and you keep, you don't have anything to eat or you're like, you're just walking to work every day. The funny thing when you ask on. them the questions that they don't really have an answer, like it was, this was just an experiment. <laughs> like that's what they said. <laughs> they go, but isn't it cool? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's gross. It's gross. They even tell you like you can compost the clothing. It's made of wool, which is like the most uncomfortable <laughs> thing ever. Like I'm looking around in a wool shirt full of plant well, life but, where but, my body is like fueling so it. So now I'm eating moss and I have no shirt on. Yeah, like, it's I exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like a like. See, this is what happens when you don't go to college and don't have people <laughs> to dress for. Uh, saw augmented VR experiences that were pretty cool. Uh, one of them was a hang gliding experience where they attached two drones on the side of a of a bar. Essentially, the drones would try to lift you up in the air, and you were looking at a hang gliding experience, which yeah, is man, that was which is cool. which is kind of cool. But the coolest thing that uh, I got to see and be part of was a experiment that we did. So we had a we had a nice party historic scoot in here in Austin, Texas, um, for some friends of ours. And, uh, we all, we often talk about how brands are, uh, defined by how people experience the products and the things that you put in their hands. So what we were able to do is we partnered with, um, a band. Can I talk about the band? Yeah. Right. Head talk, and the heart. Talk about the head and the heart ish. I can edit it out. Looking at Austin. All right. Um, partnered with the head and the heart. Um, and was able to put some EEG and heart rate sensors on some folks to actually understand as they consumed a live performance what was happening in their brains uh, through the four main wavelengths and what was happening to their heartbeats and then created a data visualization with some friends around that and that it was actually the light display that people got to experience. So it was biometrics as the controller to the light display of a concert uh, with 297 awesome. of my closest friends, or 697 of my closest friends, I guess I should say. Uh, more on that. We'll publish that um, when, we're, when we're done. Tighten it up. Anything else? Oh, it's called po Post-Human Habitats. I just found the name of that project you were talking about. <laughs> okay. A prototype of a wearable, edible, and compostable out. landscape system that allows the urban dweller to live off the grid, providing immediate access to sources of food in time. When severe drought, diminished soil quality, and sea level rise threaten the future of food production, i.e., you're the farm. 
So it's a post-apocalyptic solution. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm so, gonna go. So I don't have to buy it this week. No, you're okay. good. All right. I'm gonna go practice being a farm. Yeah. Um, for so Ben Gaddis. Probably this. could get it on um, Infowars. I think you probably, probably saw could. a lot of those there. We probably could. Uh, ben Gaddis, James Lanyon, Austin Hagerty. This is cocktails and questions. Rate and review us, man. We're having fun making these for you guys. We hope you're having fun too. The best way to tell us is to rate and review and tell your friends. Until next time, be good to yourselves. Be good to one another. Bye.